Hello and welcome to Subclass Act, a solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Shaw. Hey, and welcome back, y'all, to another episode. I have a bunch of call-ins from different sources today, um, and so I'm going to respond to those. We're going to get into the story. Uh, first, I want to say um, some apologies to the creators of CRGE. Yeah, so last session, I played that all wrong, and I got all confused, and it was my fault and not the uh, Oracle's fault. I will be playing it again this time just because I already feel like I did enough damage to that, but I do encourage you to still check it out. For clarification, if you know, remember what I'm talking about, the D20 has to only, it's, it only has to do with when you have the and unexpectedly at the end, where you, so you just, we were, we actually were doing the D100 part right, we were rolling for the chances of a yes or a no, um, adding the surge one way or the other, uh, but yeah, so the D20 is only for that. I got myself twisted up and confused. Um, we will be using the Mythic emulator. I, I think I've gone through just about all the emulators that I have. Um, uh, we have Oracle or the uh, Burst Oracle that we can get to in a little bit, but I'm going to save that for when we actually play Burst um, on the podcast as a whole. That's something else we're going to talk about. We're going to get to it later. Um, it's going to be addressed in the call-ins and in the show notes. So um, we've got quite a few call-ins, so I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. Um, yeah, we're still going to be playing Dominion Rules this session. Uh, we're going to give it its at least its second session, and we'll keep playing. I, like I said last time, I've been playing that um, in my off-air solo play, and that's been really fun. It's a really cool rule set, and thanks to Trevor Duvall and um, me, myself, and Dai for tipping me off to this rule set. Okay, without further ado, the Collins. Hi, James. It's Sap from Sweden again. Uh, first thing first. It's almost one in the morning and I need to go to bed. But before I do that, I will address a few things. First of all, I love hearing you using the burst system, even if it's just the tables and NPC generators and stuff like that. But it's it's always nice to see the work being appreciated and put to good use. And I love where the story is going and all the twists and turns. It's it's a rush. I really like it. And yeah, today I got through work just by listening to the two episodes you just released. So keep up the good work. Now, this part is for Jason and anyone else that's interested. If you go to sapline.itch.io you can find uh, the burst system there Um, and right now there are still 54 community copies available for free so you can just grab a copy and try it out and I must say that I get excited to hear that you are interested in hearing what I'm gonna produce in my pod and I can let you know right now that I just finished recording my third episode, fourth if we count the session zero. And yeah, I have told myself that I will finish five episodes before I publish the first one. So I'm getting there. So just hold your horses for a little while longer and it will be released. So yeah, 
thank you and thank you james for doing what you're doing yet again keep up the good work and have a great one thanks zap from sweden yes one go to bed <laughs> but i know how it is well uh, you know sometimes just staying up late and you know we, you've got kids too so i get it um yeah i i i don't know what to say but i'm just so glad that um the podcast is something you enjoy enough that it uh helps you get through work um so that just it just overwhelms me in a good way and I, i'm i'm glad you enjoy the show um and that it can be some help in that way yeah, as far as the burst oracle tables, it's amazing. And I will use the system as a whole later once I become a little bit more acquainted with it. I wouldn't want to do to your system what I did to uh, CRGE last time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do plan on using it for at least an episode, if not more. I, I've used for most of these systems, they've, they've gotten um, at least two episodes in. So um, burst and uh, unmighty thews are, are coming. But yeah, I mean, the tables themselves are, are alone are good. The oracle is good. So it's one of the things that's so impressive about it. I think as a game, it's solid and impressive. Um, as an Oracle, it's impressive. And then as random tables, it's impressive. So And it's so modular, you can take what you like and you can mix and match. You can take all of it. You can take some of it. Uh, and I think that's really, really good. So I think you've done some good work there. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to the podcast. Um, I will have, so I'm glad you mentioned the links on here. Um, and I will have, I think I had them in the episode, uh, show notes for the last episode. I'll make sure to include them here. So that you're, if you're interested in the burst system, which I re recommend everybody check out, um, it'll, the links will be in here. Um, and as soon as, uh, you have the rest of your podcast episodes recorded and published, um, I will also link your podcast on here as well in the show notes. So thanks again for calling in again. So glad that you're enjoying the show and everybody definitely check out the show notes, check out the links for the burst system. Hello, James. This is Jack McCarthy. Uh, I just completed episode four of season two. I wanted to let you know I'm really enjoying Subclass Act so far. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You're really imaginative. I particularly enjoy the uh, switching from system to system. Uh, as you've probably noticed already, like after episode four, one of the downsides of that is that when you switch from system to system, there's going to be certain things that you forget and or overlook particular wrinkles of the system and everything like that. But switching from 5e to Savage Worlds, I think is really cool. It might be interesting for you to switch back and forth between the two. I don't know. Uh, on the other systems that you've mentioned, I didn't really have any particular preference either way. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to say thanks for reaching out to me on the YouTube and uh, glad to be listening in. Have a good one, man. Hey, Jack. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you're enjoying the show. Uh, yeah, so one of the things, uh, since I recommended people start on season two, which I still recommend to everybody. Um, so you're as you're on episode four, the system is probably only shifted, I think, once. It'll shift a bunch. It was one of the things that uh, I had at the beginning of season two toyed with not keeping... Uh, switching systems, I was going to maybe stay with one, but I had gotten some feedback from from the people who had been there from season one that that was one of the things they enjoyed was seeing how the different systems, different oracles work. So at least for now, at least for this system, I'm continuing to do that, um, it, ma mainly to show the different parts of the system people can kind of go through as well. Some people like to find the whole story. Some people like to go, I think, just to particular systems to see how it works. Um, you're right, though, switching so often uh, is, is less than ideal for, uh, for getting, you know, certain wrinkles and things like that. It's a lot of, 
uh, system stuff to keep in my head sometimes. Um, so I definitely mess stuff up and I would anyways, I think, but I definitely mess stuff up. Um, and it's the other thing is you, yeah, the, it does change the story a little bit because, um, you know, it's, it's not about system, but it's also about system, right? It's that, that co classic conundrum. There's no, uh, understanding at the table sort of dynamic here that gets balanced out by different systems. It's just kind of the way I'm reading the system. And so it, the system affects the solo play a, a lot, especially in the way that you translate mechanics and, um, and, and as they affect the story. So by the time you get here, you'll have seen a lot more. And so, you know, one example is in uh, the second the second time around with 5e, when he picks up the ability to do this wild magic sort of barbarian thing from Tasha's Cauldron, I think it was. Um, it doesn't really translate to the other systems quite as well. I could probably pull it off in Savage Worlds or Genesis. Um, so many other systems don't really have a spot for that. So, for example, Dominion Rules doesn't really have a thing for that. I could kind of give them him some magic, but it just, just the stats don't work out. So they do add their own unique flavor, their own unique spin. Um, but hopefully one of the things too is that uh, people can see is that you can enjoy any of these and you can get similar stories. So uh, there is at least some degree to which the story is, you know, continually going through all these different systems uh, and different oracles. So you can't really, I don't think, make a wrong choice there. Um, yeah, most of the systems, I think by the time you get here, I'll have played uh, most of the ones I have. Um, that fit sort of the settings, obviously no sci-fi ones, uh, not Troika as much as I love it. Cause it's just a little bit too out there for me to fit with this story. Um, I've not done fake core or index card RPG on here, but they have been in one shots. Maybe they'll be on here. I've been soloing fake core offline quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so it just shows some different things. I, you know, if people continue to like that, I might continue to do that as, not only through this season, but in continuing seasons, um, as, a you know, trying to figure out whenever this story wraps up and there is another season kind of break, uh, then, you know, the next one might be in a different genre. It might be in sci-fi. It might be in something sort of modern, it, you know, it might be in something different. And if it is, then it, it could potentially, you know, do the same thing where it changes uh, systems in a different genre, or it could be just, you know, one system all the way through. And that would be something different for me for sure. Um, so it's really just down to what everybody enjoys. I enjoy it either way. So uh, it's really just down to what, what listeners want. So uh, I'm glad you've been enjoying it. Um, I really appreciate the feedback. Um, it, it really helps me fine tune the show. I hope people don't uh, feel bad about uh, calling in, giving feedback. Um, you know, I was a music major in college, so I, I take constructive criticism all the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, it just helps me. It doesn't offend me in any way. So uh, anybody who has feedback, please don't, don't hesitate to send it in. It only helps me fine tune the show and make it something more enjoyable for everybody. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I got. Thanks again, Jack, for, for checking out the show. Hopefully you're still enjoying it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Hi, James. Uh, Goblin Sensuin here. So thanks very much for trying my Hexflower Mythic Emulator. Um, the only thing I would say about it is that um, there's two parts to it. There's one which is the Hexflower, which tracks the various uh, chaos state. And then there's the sort of uh, bit at the top, which, you know, determines whether you succeed or not. And um, what I would say is that those things aren't necessarily coupled together. Um, I get, sometimes get greedy with trying too many things in, in one, one go. So I think the Hexflower for generating Chaos State is of itself um, probably more practical because it's a simple kind of tracking method, whereas the slightly more um, extravagant uh, using of different sized dice to determine probability is just something that I, I got a little bit obsessed with and tried. Okay, cheers, fella. Bye. 
Yeah, thanks, Goblin's Henchman. Yeah, I uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So I hope that um, I probably came off a little bit flustered while using it. And so I do want to clarify to the listeners, it's only because it's it's a little different when recording than when I'm playing. There's a little bit more pressure to get things, especially because I don't I just do nearly zero editing anymore um, to just keep it all in my head. And it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, uh, I, I sometimes call this like when you're playing guitar and you haven't, you know, you haven't gotten something down a hundred percent perfect and you're like, Oh, check this thing out. You've played it a million times. Just fine. You go to show somebody else and then you get what I call the stupid fingers. Um, I get the stupid fingers when I, uh, when I record sometimes. So my brain fogs more than, than normal sometimes I think. And, and I also, you know, record after my children go to sleep. And sometimes my, um, my sleep deprived brain, uh, can't make make sense of things. I think it's very cool. Um, and I actually I will probably um, use it in its entirety again. I did appreciate the, the actually the separate pieces. That's pretty cool. So you can use the hex flower just to keep uh, track of the chaos factors. And the fact that I can go up and down, um, it, it is predictable in the sense that it's the hex flower pattern, but it's unpredictable when you're using it. And that's kind of interesting. It mixes that up and adds some other kind of randomness there. Um, the different dice is totally, is totally cool. It's just, it's harder for me to keep that stuff when I'm recording, but I think off air, um, it would work, uh, it would work just fine. But yeah, it is cool that the, you know, the, the both of those are, um, are separate pieces. And so again, it's very modular. I, I think both are successful. I think I just wasn't success as successful as I could have been on the air. Um, so apologies on that front. I, I think it's a good thing. Any, anybody's interested in it, I would, I would definitely check out, um, Goblin's Henchman's Hexflower, uh, Mythic Emulator. It's, it's really cool. Um, I'm going to use it probably again on the show. I think I'm going to practice up a little bit more like some of these other things. I'm going to practice a little bit more before I bring it back on the show. Uh, Cause I want to, I want to reflect well on what you've made because I think you've made some cool stuff. And I'll say you were right. Um, it was the perfect gateway for me to understand the Hexflower thing. Um, just like some other things when I'm reading it, it doesn't always hit my brain and, and until I hit, uh, it hits the table. Um, and so, um, I have some of your other hex flower stuff as well that I will probably, uh, feature in the show as it comes up, um, including the, uh, in, and probably a one shot, um, the Oz setting. And I, I may in fact use burst or, um, maybe even I'll do a weird, like maybe I'll do Almighty Thus with that. We'll see. Either way, something I'm probably going to use the Oz um, Hexflower setting for now that I kind of understand how the Hexflower thing works. Um, it is simpler than I thought it would be uh, once I get it to the table. So yeah, everybody, everybody check it out. It's, it's really, it's really very good. Hi James, Goblin Senchman here. So I was listening to your latest episode. I was interested in this uh, as a Dominion mechanic, where it's kind of like a bit like a uh, game of chicken, where you're rolling a d12 and you're trying to get equal or below the target number. But the closer you get to the number, the more damage you do. So it's a bit like a chicken mechanic. We'll get as close to the line as possible without going over. Actually, it's interesting because it's nearly identical to an idea I came up with for. Uh, a one-page system I called SMART, S-M-A-R-T. It was more of a thought experiment than anything, but it was the idea of, could you use, it's nearly exactly that mechanic, which was based on an um, AD&D surprise mechanic, where, again, you're trying to get as close to the number as possible without going over, and the whole system revolves on that. So it's neat because it determines success and the magnitude of success. Anyway, um, it's, I think it's free to download if you're interested in looking at that, no big deal, but definitely uh, interesting how similar ideas can percolate to the surface from different people. Okay, cheers, fella, bye. Yeah, it's funny how um, I've seen that kind of mechanic pop up a couple times now. I have downloaded uh, Smart, S-M-A-R-T, 
Uh, I'm still reading through it, but yeah, I think it's such a cool, it's kind of a cool mechanic. And I love, um, as I've talked ad nauseum before about Genesis, I love um, how you can have in some of these mechanics, one role means so much, um, which I love and hate because, you know, I love to roll lots of dice and many times. Uh, but at the same time, I also love having these rich, you know, rolling the dice once and it tells you just so much. Uh, and then these mechanics are like that. There's also a similar kind of mechanic in a way to um, in um, uh, Tunnel Goons, uh, which if anybody is not familiar, Tunnel Goons is a very small RPG, great for one shots, um, great for kids, uh, just uses 2d6 dice. It's very quick to just pick up and play and, and to make up um, kind of on the spot. And when you have, basically everybody has, I think just one stat, which is kind of like your health and your stats and then you know, various equipment gives you various pluses and, and, and things like that. But um, when you're attacking a creature, you roll the um, you roll the two d six and um, it's sort of the the excess of that over the monsters. So if you you get over the monsters hit points, sort of it, and then whatever the difference is between your roll and the monsters hit points, um, that's how much is subtracted from the monsters hit points. So I guess this death spiral thing. Um, I have something similar in my own game, um, which I don't normally promote on the show, but um, uh, my own game, Novas and Nebulae, which is free, by the way, it's a, it's a fairly light sci-fi game. Um, it, ha it has a similar mechanic. Uh, mine's a roll under, except for instead of its roll as close to the target as possible, in this case, lower. In that, in that game, lower is always better. Um, so when you're rolling, you're trying to roll um, and you take the, uh, what is it? I believe the the... the um, targets, armor. I, I can't actually remember off the top of my head, which is really sad. It's just because I haven't been able to run it in a bit. Uh, but you take, um, I think, your um, stat minus the roll minus the target's armor number. Um, and uh, and if if that's a number, then, then that's the, the amount of damage that's done. With the exception of being double ones, um, There's no. it's just you do, um, there's nothing subtracted. So it's just your stat minus their, uh, their armor because armor is damage reduction. So it's kind of similar. That's that's an optional system. There's another one where you can roll separate dice for damage um, in that game if you'd like. Um, I also I'll bring it up because I, I got some feedback from uh, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, um, interested in a fantasy version of Novas and Nebulae. If anybody here has, and, and no pressure to check it out, um, it's on my itch page, which might be linked. I'll, I'll try to remember to put it in the show, uh, show notes. I don't normally try to cross-promote because I, I don't know. It just feels weird to me. But um if you enjoy that game and you'd be interested in a uh, mad, uh, fantasy uh, version, let me know. Um, it really, it would be very similar. It'd have different equipment tables, different backgrounds, and um, the only different, other difference is I think I would remove the impulse powers, which is to emulate sort of Star Wars The Force, um, and replace it with two, uh, probably two magic systems. One that has your sort of-ish normal cleric magic user um, and then another one, which is sort of my preference when I can get it, which is more magic as a wild, uncontrollable thing that's more nebulous. So it would have maybe multiple ways of flavoring it. Um, you could have a, uh, you know, demonic patrons. Um, you could be sort of a shaman where you, pre uh, perform some of these, uh, rituals, um, you know, very, various things like that, but it's more ritualistic. So it's not really casting Like you don't know spells per se. It requires a lot more components and time. Um, but also the effects are more nebulous and more wild. Uh, there would almost definitely be some sort of a, a fumble table. You would almost definitely, in either system, roll every time you want to cast a spell. And if you fumble, it would be pretty bad. So don't do that. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in that sort of thing, let me know. If you're interested, I guess, 
it's the game is small and easily adaptable i think so if you're interested in something else too um that i haven't even thought of like hey i would like this but i would like it for sort of cthulhu type horror or i'd like like in a modern setting i think it's i think anybody even not just myself anybody could adapt it fairly easily um as is but if you're if you're interested in something like that uh let me know i'm starting to think about the fantasy version now um but anyways i i've gotten myself distracted goblins henchmen so forgive me for rambling on um but yes i i am checking out uh smart i think it's a really cool mechanic and you're right it's kind of funny how people converge uh, on these ideas and so i think uh, i think he must be on to something then all right we are going to get back in to the story lost in a sea of people for the first time in his life. Thorn is in a new kind of desert. Surrounded by people, there's an absence of silence, an absence of room for thought. There's a hustle and bustle, the smell of many cooked meats and herbs, and there's smoke in the streets. People running, people shouting, people congregating, the clanging of drums and the discordant melodies of instruments. It's all so disorienting. His head almost pounding with this just unrelenting activity. He just managed to barely escape the Blind Tiger Society. It seems like he's been on the run for a while never able to to get anywhere but I think that a lot of that's about to change I think Thorin's had just about enough welcome back to a new episode we've got some things to take care of at the beginning one we are going to use like I said Dominion rules and Mythic GM emulator I have stuff written down now and being a good citizen of Mythic um, the other thing I realized is that I was too hard on myself, which is something that I do constantly and all the time while playing solo. Uh, I realized when um, uh, checking out Subclass Act again that uh, the rules say about um, 8 to 12 APs for each session, and so I thought, my sessions are shorter, I'm only going to do 4. So when I leveled up Thorin, it was only about half as powerful as it should have been, um, because that is ridiculous and too, too ruthless. The uh, Enough happens in each session, I think merit the full amount so i have taken the liberty of doing that also as i learned the system i realized i was ignoring tons of both penalties and bonuses so for all intents and purposes we are going to call it a wash <laughs> because i forgot both halves of that coin okay uh, and it just happens all the time and hopefully people see that and realize that it's okay if you mess things up especially when you're playing solo whatever you know, it's going to happen. You learn the systems. This is one of the burdens of of, of changing the system constantly. Uh, and typically, in your uh, in your solo games, uh, you don't you don't really change them. Uh, the systems, at least as much, you can. I have sometimes I've changed back and forth between Traveler and Savage Worlds, for example, just to see the differences in the two. But typically, uh, you just kind of stick with one. And it's easy to learn. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Thorin is wandering around the streets. Uh, so to recap a little bit, uh, able to flee the Blind Tiger Society. 
supposed they're supposed to be finding a way around this illusion. It seems like Deanne, the the head of this order, the um, sort of the head priest, as we found out, they have some sort of priestly powers, priestly role here. Um, yeah, seems more bent on searching for power than his uh, what his quest is supposed to be, perhaps disillusioned with generations of uh, inability to deal with this, uh, this the illusory nature nature of this world, whatever is binding them to this illusion. Uh, Pilgrims of the single mind have not yet returned to Thorin's mind. That may not stay the case. We're going to find out uh, this episode. Um, fortunately, some of the healing waters in the oasis before kept him from uh, from them mentally taking. Uh, uh, his position or anything like that. We don't know what they did with his tribe, if anything. Do they actually have the power to follow up on their threat, and did they follow up on their threat because he hasn't yet destroyed the city with the Desert Rose? Um, yeah, so presumably there are still acolytes looking around for him in the city as well. He's never been to the city before. He has no idea what to do. He ideally... Um, we, we've got some threads. We need to restore the nomads to the temple. That's sort of the main quest, main thread. Um, he was able to uh, escape the blind tiger. Like we said, that's a thread out. Um, but he still needs to win allies for the fight um, for the nomads for the temple, but also find a way to, to you know, defeat the pilgrims of the single mind. And he also uh, needs to find a way to... Or I think he feels compelled to find a way to break this illusion, whatever this illusion is, that um, you know makes it everything seem like it's night all the time, uh, and uh, and apparently there's more to it that the stars themselves aren't quite right. Every everything is who knows what is even real at this point. Um, the perfect person to help him figure it out, who was the only person who seemed to actually make any headway, wasn't ironically the Blind Tiger Society, but was Ferdinand. But unfortunately, he's been lost to the to the Death Mage. Um, and not only dying and losing his soul there, uh, but the fact that that pocket universe is no more. There seems to be no hope whatsoever to, uh, to for Ferdinand to come back. I think Thorn feels, even though he's been kind of alone this whole time, I think he's used to being alone, but I think ironically he feels more alone in this city full of people than he ever has before. His only allies remainers is the, the his shaman back in his tribe, um, and, and, and you know, his fellow, his fellow um, uh, tribesfolk uh, back in the desert, should they even be alive? Those were his last allies that he has at the moment. And now he he doesn't even have uh, the desert, which he is so um, expertly able to track. Okay, well, he's gonna have to find some sort of allies, um, and so I think that he is gonna wander aimlessly for a bit uh, into a new kind of a desert. Um, his uh, in the city. So I think he's probably going to go looking for for allies. He's probably going to go to some sort of other, uh, either other tavern or something. Um, I have an idea of what he, where he might go. But first, I want to see if the scene is erupted. From last time, with the chaos being so high, the chaos factor is now 7, which makes total sense. So we're going to roll um, our to see our, our chaos factor if we have an interrupted or altered scene. Okay, one. So it is an altered scene. So the scene set up here, I think, is that um, uh, what, what I was thinking is that he is uh, heading, uh, instead of a tavern this time, he is um, uh, looking for allies uh, in an arena. And I think that there's some sort of, uh, some sort of like a fighting arena. Um, and this is something that Thorne knows. 
and I think he's gonna even try to try to clear his head, watch a fight, maybe he can find um, allies there. Um, so a one here, so on an, on an odd number with mythic means we have an altered scene. It means it's not, it doesn't, whatever it is, it doesn't interrupt the scene. It just is different than, than I initially expected. It's, it's really the next logical thing um, as opposed to an altered scene which completely interrupts. So I think the next logical thing here is he's looking uh, to see if he can find some allies in the arena. Uh, I think in this case, he is, um, he's approached. He's either gonna be approached or, and maybe this is more on closer to what an altered scene be, but um, I, have, I have another idea, but whatever, I think it's cool. And so we're gonna ask anyways. Um, so first I wanna ask, uh, you know, so this would be one or the other. So is he, um, is he trying to be recruited for a fight on his way to the arena? Is he trying to be recruited? Let's open up our mythic here, our fate chart. Chaos Factor uh, 7, is he being approached? I'm gonna say it's 50-50. Is he being uh, actively recruited? Zero six. Extreme, yes. Extreme, yes. The other thing I was gonna have him do is just be kidnapped um, and put in sort of the ring. Um, but if it's an extreme, yes, if he's trying to be recruited. Um, let's see. An extreme, yes. Oh, okay, you know what? Uh, you know what I think it is? Um, I think he sees somebody that he recognizes. I think he is recruited by somebody he recognizes. Um, somebody who was in the tribe who maybe wandered off at some point here. So I think um, we should probably get a few tables ready to go. We should probably get uh, some sort of a name. Um, and then we might use Une as well in order to, uh, to come up with the comparative power level um, of, of this, this acquaintance. Friend is, friend is probably not right. Uh, acquaintance. We are going to go to the Perilous Wilds here um, on the base loosely on Indonesian names. Let's see what what name we have here. Uh, and we should also ask, um, uh, is it a male or female? So male will be odd and female will be even. Okay, so it's a female uh, former tribes member or nomad. And her name is 35. Let's see, her name is Lestari. Oh, that's cool. Lestari. Right that down, add a new character to our mythic sheet. Actually tracking things like a good solo player. Uh, Lestari, yeah, uh, she comes up to him and let's find out a little bit about her. What is she like? So we're gonna go to Une, the Universal NPC Emulator, a free resource that I believe I've used on the, on the podcast before. So we're gonna roll on some tables here. We're gonna get a modifier and noun first. 34. Generous, so she's generous. Generous witch. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, so she's a generous witch. We'll see if uh, witch is literal in this case, but she's a. Um, Alright. And then let's see. What's her motivation? Verb and noun. Motivation 89. Explain 94. Explain animals. Explain animals. Oh, cool. Okay. I think... Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, she comes up 
and she says, Thorin, Thorin, is that you? Who is that? Is that Lestari? Do my eyes deceive me? Indeed, they do not. Welcome. Welcome to the city. What, what brings you here? Actually, before you answer, I actually have a good opportunity for you to make some money, but we have to hurry. You see, they have fights in this arena, and you can get a lot of money if you, if you survive the fights. The thing is, the fighters aren't very good. <laughs> she laughs. Nothing compared to even our children in our tribe. Let's find out what her power level is um, compared to Thorin. 46, which puts her at a comparable uh, comparable power level. So she's about the same, same in, the, in her abilities. She says, You see, they, they try to put all kinds of wild animals against, uh, animals against us. They try to, you know, send lions and, and bear cats and, and, and sort of these sorts of things, but... <laughs> They're nothing. And then Thorin thinks back. Are you still up to your old tricks? <laughs> yes, I suppose I do have an advantage. And I think her advantage is that she has some sort of a sway over animals. I don't think she's like a druid necessarily. She doesn't necessarily control them. But I think that she has a weird way with animals that they don't typically attack her and that she can, like, sort of persuade them to be on her side. So again, it's not exact control. She can't exactly speak with them, but she can manipulate them to a degree. I'm going to stick with kind of the language of per persuading. So, um, yeah, so she tries to recruit him uh, for this big fight. And he says, um, Starry, I... As fun as that sounds, I have, I have little time for fights at the moment. In fact, actually, it is a fight that I am seeking, but not this one. What do you mean? Well, you see, I am quested with restoring our people finally to our rightful place in the temple. I think that there's a there's a decent chance that she kind of rolls her eyes at this because she did leave for a reason. Um, does she does she roll her eyes sort of at this? Um, you know this this great quest that's been you know as we've known generations in the making. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's it's likely that she thinks this is ridiculous. Uh, 21. Yes, she does. She kind of rolls her eyes. Thorin, you you must know the people have been trying that for generations. There's been much wasted time. It's time for our people to move on. Thorin looks. What? Move on here in this place? Yes, Thorin. Yes, in this place. It is far from perfect, sure. But there is, there is a life to be had here. There is glory. There are riches. And she tosses him, I think, a couple coins. After all, she is generous. Lestari, I do not mean to judge you for leaving. Jesus, yes, I've certainly got enough of that over the years. But let me not heap it on to you. Perhaps there's a place we can go and we can talk. A place that is a bit more. He looks around, kind of like holding his temple a little bit. Quiet. 
so I think they go to find a uh, they go to find a place um, and they find like a little um, almost like a little side cafe. Um, I, I am going with like a desert theme, and I, I wish I knew a little bit more about uh, you know I wish I knew a little bit more about Middle Eastern mythology and culture in that way that I could emulate it effectively. I, I know I'm not going to be able to do that, so I'm not going to try super hard. But I'm going to put that caveat at the beginning. I do kind of imagine this this sort of way in like an Arabian Nights. Um, Aladdin, but hopefully more authentic, you know, than, than that. But that, that's out. That's about my only reference point. Along other than Spout Lore, when they're in the uh, in uh, McCall, now they have a better reference um, due to one of the to one of the players. But so I'm I'm, I'm just going to put out the caveat that I can't emulate it very well. Um, so I'm just going to add what little bits of flavor I can, but it's it's not authentic, and you know, that's all I can do at the moment. Um, but I think they go to have coffee, um, sort of like a strong Turkish coffee kind of a thing. Uh, in this sort of dark, uh, small, small cafe kind of thing in the side street. You know, I, I, I imagine it looking kind of like, uh, you know, Tatooine in a way where it doesn't, doesn't exactly look Middle Eastern in its actual construction. It's kind of desert. The city is, is vast. Um, I'm, I'm imagining almost more like a, like a Bronze Age game aesthetic here, um, than, you know, some other, some other games. Um, but I'm not, not tied super hard to Bronze Age. I just mean that more of the sword and sandals, I guess, is kind of the way I see it, in a way. Anyway, so they're they're sipping this coffee, and he fills Lestari in, I think, on... Uh, really, just on his travels. Um, I, I don't think he really holds anything back from her. I think he kind of implicitly trusts her. I think there's a bond of trust. Even though that she's left, I don't think that she was a disreputable member in any way. Um, I think the witch label is something that she kind of has gotten here because of the way that she interacts with the animals. I don't think she's actually a witch. I don't think she actually has any magical powers. I think we've established in the setting that magic itself is exceedingly rare. That death mage was a bizarre, weird thing for him to, for there to be a sorcerer of that level. Um, the blind pirate, like the clerics, are, are unusual. I don't know what other kinds of clerics they may or may not be in the city. The nomads certainly don't have anything like that. Now, I think Thorin, um, at the end, says, To be honest, Lestari, I, I don't know what to do. We certainly need more allies to take back the temple. And, and I think there's a good chance she interjects, too, because I don't even know if he, Thorin knows where the temple is. I think he's had, I think we've said way back from the beginning that he's had dreams and visions of it. Probably some of them uh, induced by the shaman and, and stories, but I don't think he knows exactly where it is. They've been wandering for a long time. I don't even know if it's in the city or if it's nearby or where it is. I think there's a good reason, uh, a good uh, chance that she interjects uh, about this point. I'm gonna say it's 50-50. 77, okay, so two things happen. One, um, it is a no. She does not interject with any sort of thing like that. Um, maybe the assumption is that she doesn't know either. We'll find that in a moment. Um, she doesn't say anything about, about the location or anything like that. She lets him keep talking, but we have doubles on our chaos factor, which means that there is a random event. So I'm gonna roll, as they're talking, I'm gonna roll the event focus. Four is a remote event. So this is something that's happening off camera somewhere else. Um, the, the characters only find out about it indirectly. What is the action and subject of this event? 82, 82, Dis uh, not speed, sorry, activity. And then subject, activity 16, activity love, activity love, hmm, 
to be honest, that's probably the prompt that I'm the most incapable of interpreting in this particular story. Um, there's not really any romance plot lines, especially, well, especially in my show. Um, but, you know, just even, I'm just trying to think of what we have established. And it could be, like, love for the nomads as well. Activity love. Um, maybe, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's it. It's, like, this familial love. Um, I think it's some sort of activity. I think I really need to know more. I'm not going to throw out that result, although I think you should feel free to throw out results if they don't make sense. Reroll. Sometimes you can just switch the digits. Um, I think I think I have a part of, the, part of an idea, but I need the other half. So we're going to roll again. Action and subject. Action. 53. Adversity. 57. Tactics. Okay, yeah, I think this is what's happening. So um, the camera kind of cuts back into the desert, and we see... The nomad's sort of on the run, sort of this is like a camera shake kind of action scene as the the villagers are running for their lives. And what they're running from is this horrid scene. The pilgrims of the single mind, remember they don't move, they just show up as like a, a circle of people. Um, but they're not really people and they're not really there, but they've been able to make things, set things on fire. And I think that they're, the, the, they're running here and there in the desert and all of a sudden the pilgrims show up and there's a huge column of fire that comes from the circle uh, or the appearance of the circle of these, of these apparent people. And there's fire and then they have to turn this way and that. They're running through the desert. It turns out that the pilgrims of the single mine are indeed trying to act upon... Um, now... They've had the power to destroy things in the past, so I think maybe they're, what they're trying to do, and, and the way that this remote event is perceived, is I think Thorin, as he's talking to, um, um, as he's talking to his friend Lestari here, I think he kind of gets interrupted, um, and he's saying, I mean, as far as where the temple is, and then he looks over, and he can see, even from this great distance, these columns of flame chill goes through his blood. Lestari looks at him. Thorn. Th Thorn, what is it? I'm worried that I'm already too late. There's a good chance, Lestari, that whatever is happening out there has to do with the pilgrims of the single mind and our people. I don't know how long they can last out there. seems then, Thorin, that this is the first thing that we must do before we can even take back the temple. We must deal with the pilgrims of the single mind. We? Yes, Thorin. I'm not going to roll for this. She's generous. Yes, Thorin. I know I left our people a while ago, but I, I still feel the bond. We must do what is right. You know this. That's all well and good, Lestari, but how do we... How do we deal with them? You yourself said that there is illusion all around. And these pilgrims of the single mind, they seem that they, they must in some way, based on what you said, be participants in this illusion. Are they not? I suppose it stands to reason. Then I think it's time we find a way to bring these walls crumbling down. She gestures to the stars above. Does she... Has she heard some sort of a rumor? That they are like a lead that they can have? 
I don't know. I'm gonna say it's very unlikely, which in Chaos Factor 7 means it's 50% chance. I think it's very unlikely she'd have heard anything that's useful. She definitely doesn't have, like, oh, here's the answer. The MacGuffin is right there. But I think that, um, I think that it's possible, but it's very unlikely um, that she's heard any rumors that are, that are like this. 76, no. She hasn't, she hasn't heard anything. I don't know where to look, to be honest with you, Thorin. But it appears that we have very little time. Thorin says, I wish Ferdinand were here. He would at least know where to look. Maybe that's just it, Thorin. Maybe we need to go and look where he was looking. I know that that book may not be there, and it was placed by the blind tiger. But perhaps there's something left there, and if there isn't, I think you know what we must do. If there isn't anything there, we are going to have to sneak back into the blind pirate's compound, find out what information they do have, and see if there's anything of use. Lestari, you don't have to come with me on this. Especially if it comes to infiltrating the blind tiger, it's... It's unlikely we'll emerge alive. Especially the way I play this game. I know that, Thorn. But I... I feel that I owe this to our people. Perhaps to everyone. If we are all subject to this grand illusion. Quick. We must be off. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to count that remote events against them. In general, I think that there's there's some semblance of control being uh, reestablished here, um, despite the remote event. I think that was only a matter of time. We're on Chaos Factor 6 now. Uh, the next setup, I think, for the next scene is that they are going to investigate... Um, uh, investigate the area for uh, where Ferdinand was for books or something. Um, some sort of a clue as to a way to, to dispel this illusion. If not everywhere, at least locally. Because um, even Ferdinand wasn't able to figure that out, so it's unlikely to be able to figure it out all at once. But maybe there's something that they can find. Okay, so Chaos Factor 6, we're going to see if this new scene is interrupted at all. Two, it is. There's a random event. So they head to the spot where uh, Thorin, uh, where Ferdinand had described he had originally found these books that the, uh, later he found out that the Death Mage and the Blind Pirate Society were leaving out for him. Um, what is the nature of this event as they arrive there? The focus is 74. PC positive. Well, thank goodness, finally. PC positive. Action. 29. 29. Let's see. Take. Subject. Take 39. Take news. Take news. Okay, yeah, I think, um... Hmm. Okay, you know what I think this is? Because uh, it's PC positive. I think they, um... They arrive there. And they're trying to sneak around. Be as stealthy as possible. Because uh, there could be people anywhere around in there. There could be blind tiger acolytes anywhere. And in fact, I think there is one that shows up. Um kind of quiet with his hood down. His face can't be seen. He says, Thorn, Thorn, wait, quick. Er, he says, he says uh, not quick. He says, wait, before you do anything, I I mean you no harm. I heard that you fled, but, but more than that, I, I've come to tell you something. You see, something was wrong, and I realized the way that 
you came and you, you left, just something was wrong, and, and, and I, I went to go check our records, and I was able to, to overhear others talking about uh, some sort of weapon that you, that you carry. Don't worry, don't worry, I'm not here for it. What I'm here to tell you is that I think that they've been negligent in their duties to help us find the truth of things for a long time. Well, I take my vows and my oath very seriously, Thorin. And I'm here to help. In any way that I can. So I think he agrees to join. They're kind of skeptical. Um, I think Thorin eventually takes his hand off of his longsword, or his greatsword, though. It says, I suppose we don't have much, much of a choice, Lestari. If you can help us, we certainly could use all the help we could get in understanding this. Let's get a name for this new acolyte here. Um, we are going to let's see which tables I have used before. I think we've used Hungarian, Drova, Indonesian, Finnish. Let's go with uh, let's go with another one of the Indonesian influence names. What is his name? His name is Sixteen Ayokunle. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Ayokunla. Alright, let's write that down. Ayokunla. He agrees to come help them as they investigate. Okay, uh, and he's going to know more about what he's doing. So I think we're going to get to our first actual Dominion rules um, uh, role of the game. I, I want to say something I, uh, about solo real play. So if you'll let me interrupt the story for a second, I think this is something hopefully worth saying. A lot of times people say, like, oh, man, that was a really good role-playing session. We, we didn't even have any, hardly have any roles. And I, I think, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, I think I'm starting to get better at this thing. And, and the only reason I'm saying it is I think that as you get better at solo role-playing, the mechanics, I think, do factor in a little bit less. Um, and I think, I, to be honest with you, I think Dominion rules um, lends itself to this for a while. But this was a hindrance for me at the beginning, especially with... Uh, now, this isn't exactly an OSR game, but with OSR games, when you're trying to uh, roll the dice less... Um, and have these plans, that's really hard when you're first starting solo, frankly, especially when you have less context. But now that the story has built up, it's easier, to be honest with you. Um, and I just noticed this happening, so this is sort of an organic development. Um, and so I think um, that that's a positive thing. So hopefully you enjoy it. Um, we're going to get into the Dominion rules, though. I don't want to keep tuning my own horn. It feels weird. Um, okay, I guess practice makes... Not perfect. Practice makes this better, anyway. Um, so I think you're going to make sort of a... Um, uh, alertness is not really quite... Alertness is just kind of um, subconscious stuff. I think this is more like a, some sort of a lore role. Um, so it's probably not a built-in skill. Um, there's probably a... Um, like an arcane lore. That's probably a skill, uh, skill that there is. And I would say that that's some sort of an intellect skill. Now, uh, Thorin's intellect is terrible. It's a two. I could spend some points on um, adding some to this, but I think I'm going to do something different, something we actually haven't done in this system yet. Um, and in addition to that, I think he's going to get some bonuses as well for uh, being with his Acolyte, because um, his Acolyte would know better what to look for. Um, and then Lestari is going to be looking as well, but she has no idea what to look for, so he doesn't get a bonus there. I'm going to give him a plus two bonus for having this Acolyte with him. Um, who can help him know what to look for. And I'm also going to spend two APs. These are kind of your experience points that you use for leveling up. Um, you can also spend your spare ones, you want to leave spare ones around, uh, to use your luck skill. And Thorin actually has a decent luck, uh, luck attribute of three. 
And so what that means is um, I'm going to spend two of these uh, to give me... Um, so each for each one you spend, so now I have two spare APs left instead of four, um, I, you get your luck attribute as a bonus for the, whatever the round of what you're doing. So if it's in combat, whenever you start, it's all the way through the round. So you typically want to do it in timing, so it's for the whole thing. We're not really in the timing rules here, so it's really just going to be the one roll. I'm spending two of those. My luck attribute's a three, so this gives me a plus six on the roll. And then I think I said a plus two um, for the Acolyte here, which gives me a total of plus eight, which means that I have, uh, I just need to roll a 10 or lower in order to find something useful here. Um, and I won't be able to re-roll if this fails. So 12 always fails, even if I spent a ton of points. Um, but I won't be able to re-roll unless the circumstances change, I think, with this kind of a skill. Some skills you can re-roll anytime. I don't think this is one of them. I think the circumstances would have to change um, as they're looking through. So they are looking for something with, with useful information. What do we find? Here comes our roll. An 11! Oh no! Okay. Yeah, they can't find anything useful here. They, they, they're turning up the whole place, and I think they do find one thing, or at least the Acolyte does, but he, he says, um, Thorin, and he has this sad look on his face as he holds up the book, and all that's left of charred remains turns to ash in his hands and just falls through his fingers. Thorin feels crushed. Feels absolutely crushed. I'm afraid we're going to have to do the other thing, he says to Lestari. <laughs> and at this moment, I think um, Ayakunla is like, what other thing? We're going to have to going to have to sneak in to the Blind Tiger's compound and find the materials there. I think this is a lot for Ayokunle to hear. And I think we should know a little bit more about him with Une, because I kind of want to see how likely it's going to be that he will do this thing, because it already seems somewhat unlikely, because he's already taken a really big risk to help Thorin. He said he doesn't take his vow seriously, but how far does that go? So, we need to know a little bit about him. NPC modifier in Une is 63. Obnoxious. 35. Obnoxious. Adept. Okay, so I think he's a little bit of a know-it-all, in, in a way. Um, so I think he's a bit of a know-it-all, but he's motivated. 78. Depress. Noun. Depress. Purity. Well, I think I think that certainly makes sense. Um, I'm going to say depressed purity isn't like it's not what he's motivated by. He's he's a little depressed um, because he's he's determined for this this kind of purity. He's a little bit obnoxious about it, in fact. Um, and uh, we need to know his power level. Fifty-one uh, comparable. So, yeah, um, I think then it's because he's obnoxious and he's motivated uh, by his depression that things aren't way that they're supposed to be with these vowels. Um, I, I think there's there's uh, a decent chance uh, compared to what I was thinking that he'll do it. I, so I'm going to say it's somewhat likely that he'll agree to do this um, just on his own. We can maybe try to persuade him, but this is just to see if does he, does he even need to be persuaded. 10, which is actually an extreme yes. 
or I think it's somewhat likely, but I rolled on 50%. It doesn't matter. Either way, yes, he's coming. He's, he insists, in fact, um, he insists, in fact, that he be able to, he be allowed to do this, that he be allowed to join them. He says, I know the best ways in, and I know the best ways out. I don't exactly know where, well, actually, that's, I shouldn't, I shouldn't just assert that. Does he know where to find the best information? Maybe he does. I don't know. 50-50. Chaos Factor 6. 37. Yes, he does. He says, we need to go to the the library in, uh, of the deep. Now, I did say that there isn't this big cavern thing, which probably would have been cool, but there's, there isn't this big cavern thing. It's just this little compound. It is this building. Um, I think the, the library of the deep isn't that the library is necessarily deep, although I think it is in one of the lower levels. Um, it's of uh, the deep knowledge, basically. The lost lore, as it were. We're gonna have to sneak in there and see if we can find some of the some of the texts. I don't think it'll be easy, but it must be done. It must be done. Okay. Um, I think in this case, uh, even though they weren't able to find anything, they were mostly in control. So the chaos factor is gonna go down to five. Our next scene is that they are going to uh, try to infiltrate the blind tiger. Or I'm really going to say the, the library of the deep. Of the deep things. Okay. Yeah. So we need to know, Chaos Factor 5, do we have any sort of interrupt here? Seven. No, we don't. So they, they, are, they get to the edge of the compound. Um, uh, I think the, I'm not going to roll for sneaking there and whatever. I think it's fine. They're, they're going to take their time, uh, and they are going to get to the edge of the compound there. Uh, let's see. What what kind of plan do they have? I think Thorin, you know, they could do they could do the uh, Star Wars A New Hope and, and try to pretend like they're prisoners. I think that, that's risky. I don't think they even want to be detected here. Um, since they are, they are known, or at least um, Thorin is known. Yeah, I think, um, I think this is what they do. Okay. I think Thorin, uh, they try to squeeze, um, Ayokunla's, um, robes, acolyte robes onto Thorin. I, I think they don't fit quite as well, um, but he's got some sort of a disguise. Um, and I think, uh, what do they do? It's interesting. What do they do with Lestari? I think Lestari's just gonna sneak around. She's not really known necessarily. Um, she does look a bit of a nomad, though, but um, I think this is what they do. Um, they're gonna start by sneaking around, and I think the plan that they have is if they get caught, um, then Ayakunle is gonna say that he was um, he was attacked by Thorin, but fortunately um, uh, this uh, this other acolyte, um, this other itinerant acolyte from, from far off um, was able to help him capture, uh, was able to help him out. Uh, they couldn't catch Thorin, but they were able to catch this other nomad. She may know something. This is a desperate plan if they get caught, and I think the plan is to try to not get caught. Um, so yeah, I think they're gonna um, they're gonna do that. So I'm not gonna roll stealth for each of them. I'm gonna roll stealth, I think, for uh, Thorin, sort of for each of these areas. Actually, I'm not, not gonna do each of these areas. You know what? I'm just gonna do one big stealth roll, and then I'm gonna let it ride. Um, 
really just to see if they were interrupted by anything on the way down to the library. Because I think a lot of people are probably out looking. They're on somewhat alert, I think, but probably less so in the compound. I don't think they expect um, them to get in, especially because this is kind of a backdoor entrance that they're using. They're not using the way the Thorn went before. They're using a different entrance um, that Ayakunle has specifically led them towards for this purpose. Um, so to that end, because Thorn is disguised and um, they have an optimum entrance here, I'm going to give him a total of plus three circumstance bonus. One for um, the disguise, it's only an okay disguise, and two really just for having the best possible entrance um, and the timing and all of that stuff, all the, all the insider knowledge that Ayakunla has. Um, Thorin has a stealth of five, and so that's a plus three, so that's eight. So it's eight or lower. I think what we're going to do is we're going to spend another AP to get a plus three to his luck, um, which is going to bring it up to 11. So unless he rolls a 12, watch me roll a 12. Unless he rolls a 12, they are going to be able to sneak in um, just because he is stealthy and he's just that lucky, he says before he rolls a 12, right? Ah, rolled out of the dice tray. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Oh, man, that's just too good. I really did roll that 12. I accidentally rolled it way out of the dice tray and it was like a 7, but I, only, I always count it only if it's in the tray. Oh, man, and then I rolled the 12. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, that's just too much. Okay, so they start rolling in. And... Oh, man. Twelve. You know, things are going really well for a while. They're able to... Um, I think this is what happens. They, things are going really well for a while. They're able to go through all these various corridors. And... Um, and... Uh, Man, they're like, man, this thing is going off without a hitch, thank goodness. And what I need to know is my plan is very, very bad, and I need to know if it's really the case or not. I'm going to say it's uh, it's likely that what I think is the case, um, and I'll let you know if, it is, if it's true. Uh, so I'm going to say it's likely on Chaos Factor 5. 75. Exactly the number needed for a yes. Ayakunla's like, okay. Uh, we've made it. It's actually just around this corner, and then we'll move about ten more feet. To the left is the door, is the entrance. I'll look to see if anyone's there. And as soon as he steps around, he looks around the corner, he doesn't see anything. Okay, it's all clear. As soon as they turn the corner, standing right at the corner, is a not altogether surprised looking Deanne. Well, I see you've returned to me. Ah, and Brother Ayakunle. We thought we'd lost you. Thorn, I'm so glad that you've returned, and I see you've brought a friend this time. <laughs> I take it that the, the rose is quite safe quite safe indeed now. <laughs> and that is where we're going to end this session. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you everybody for calling in. Thank you uh, for uh, Jack, for Goblin's Henchman, for Zap. Uh, thank you everybody for calling in. 
Uh, it really means a lot. It's really the payment that I get for the show. It's an always free show. I'm committed to that. Um, Goblins, Huntsmen, uh, and uh, show will be linked in the show notes, um, as well as uh, Zap's Burst System will be linked in the show notes um, as well. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you if you have a friend, I'm, I'm not really doing the social media thing anymore. Um, it was maybe like a temporary thing, uh, and it's looking more and more like it's going to be permanent, so I don't really therefore promote the show on social media anymore either, except through Discord. Um, so if you, if you have a friend who you think would enjoy the show, um, please let them know. Word of mouth is at this point really the only play, uh, place that uh, people are going to learn about the show. Uh, please feel free to call in either through the Anchor app. You can send um, you can send an MP3 or, or similar through an email uh, to me if you'd like. Let me know if you don't want it to be aired. Um, but yeah, uh, just you know, I, I do appreciate the feedback. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this session, and we'll see you next time on an episode of Subclass Act.